I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. And, and welcome, welcome to, to School of Movies. <laughs> Wonder Woman 1984. This world is not yet ready for all that you will do. Your time will come, Diana. And everything will be different. Citizens of the world! I'm here to change your life. Anything you want. Anything you dream of, you can have it. Look like you saw a ghost. Diana, look at you. It's like now one day has passed. I don't want to be like anyone. I want to be an apex predator. You've always had everything, while people like me have had nothing. Well, now it's my turn. Get used to it. Parachute pants? Yeah, um... Does, it, does everybody parachute now? We have skipped over Aquaman, Shazam, and Birds of Prey, the three DC movies we really like, and we will circle back around, we promise, as well as the other 1,982 Wonder Woman sequels that we missed in theatres to talk about this late 2020 HBO release. Recently, our future selves came back from the vaccinated year 2022, and they dropped two Blu-rays in our laps. The first was Bill and Ted Face the Music, which they said that even though we couldn't safely see it in theatres in the UK, it was very important that we talk to you folks about. So we have recorded a trio of shows on that trilogy, which will be released sequentially before our early 2021 commission season fires up, starting next week. The second movie on Blu-ray was Wonder Woman 1984, which they said was going to be a movie everyone was talking about in early 2021. In America, specifically, where HBO Max exists... And before we had that four-way, our future selves also said that British people could listen and be entertained without fear of spoilers, because the creative team already spoiled the film anyway, so it's lose-lose win. And for this Amazonian task, we recruited certified American ladies to lend their perspectives. Taking a break from daily COVID tests before she can go on set, it's Hollywood actress Maya Santandrea. Hello, everyone. Returning to once again upgrade our show with her insights, it's Victoria Luna B. Grieve. Hello, and I just want to say, I have already received the vaccine, so I am already years ahead. I am just so ahead. jelly. <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny that Maya's been getting tested while I've been giving the vaccines. <laughs> it is. Hey, you're doing irony. you're doing the good work. All I'm doing is making silly television shows. So, <laughs> and and that's what got more people through, though. So we're both doing good work. Teamwork, virtual high five. I have a feeling that's not going to be the only irony we explore this uh, this particular session. This movie began production after the hastily redrawn Whedon version of Snyder's probably best film ever made, Justice League, launched in theatres to utter indifference from the world. That itself followed on from the extremely successful and good original Wonder Woman, which felt like a major departure from Snyder's Man of Steel, Snyder's Batman v Superman, David Ayer's grim, shallow Suicide Squad. Wonder Woman 2017 felt crafted and deliberate. 
uplifting and inspiring while eschewing Marvel's trademark humor, though of course it had its dryly funny moments here and there. Early 2018 to late 2020 is a long period for a movie to be constructed over, and I got the distinct impression while watching Wonder Woman 1984 that a certain amount of course correction was taking place, almost in real time, like they were making one thing, and then it became another, and maybe even a third thing. I feel like discussing it now might highlight some of that incongruity. Batman v Superman, Suicide Squad and Justice League all suffered this treatment to their detriment. And while I like this film personally way more than those other three, it frustrates me that Warner don't seem capable of learning this lesson. Looking at the actual pedigree, we can compare it to the original. Both were directed by Patty Jenkins. Both were produced by Zack and Deborah Snyder. However, the script for the original Wonder Woman was written by Alan Heinberg. This was his first and only film screenplay, and the story was co-written by Zack Snyder and a man named Jason Fuchs. So then, honestly, for, for a story co-written by Zack Snyder, Wonder Woman 1 ain't half bad. Wonder Woman 84, however, was written by Patty Jenkins herself, question mark, along with DC honcho Jeff Johns, who revitalized both Green Lantern and The Flash many years ago, and also produced a lot of the TV-bound DC hero shows, which, at the moment, this film ironically is too. However, Johns has received a lot of criticism over the years for various things, and apparently doesn't write Diana well in comics. Not like, say, Gail Simone does. It always baffles me that they never get the actual comic writers to write the screenplay. It's like, well, comics and movies are different. Okay, so, however, the third writer, and it feels like he may be an even weaker link in this chain, though that could just be speculation on my part based on his previous work, is a man named David Callaham. He wrote that Doom film with The Rock. It's absolutely terrible. Then he wrote The Expendables, the story for the boring-ass 2014 Godzilla that made everyone so sleepy that they skipped the really great one, King of the Monsters, that Davy Boy didn't have anything to do with. He then did a rewrite on the Edgar Wright and Joe Cornish script for Ant-Man. That's a good movie. Though with his track record, I do not know how he got the Marvel gig of adapting the screenplay from the man behind Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. Then he wrote the screenplay for Zombieland 2 Double Tap, a sequel so bad it made the first film worse by highlighting all the wrong things about the characters. So after co-writing this screenplay for Wonder Woman 1984, reviled and critically panned as it is, on top of a litany of dreck, you would imagine that we won't be hearing from David again. Nope! He's writing Mortal Kombat for Warner Brothers, Shang-Chi for Marvel, and Untitled Into the Spider-Verse sequel for Sony. How is it possible to be everyone in Hollywood's nephew? Asking as a writer. Anyway, a lot has been... But this is what I mean, like, well, we can't get Gail Simone to write it. She does comic books. They're not the same as screenplays at all. Get the guy who did Doom. Anyway, a lot... He didn't even do the good bad Doom. (laughs) (laughs) A lot has been said already about Wonder Woman in 1984. Some of it very fierce and angry. And as we watched, I initially wondered, why? Until a growing series of baffling decisions and oblivious choices on screen made me go, oh... Oh. Oh. 
But after sleeping on it, I realised there were things I hadn't heard said yet that definitely started to creep in the morning after. So we pulled this show together fairly quickly, and I can understand why our future selves wanted this to happen. Our remit tonight is to not repeat ourselves too much and to start off by laying down in short order some of the bigger criticisms already out there, all of which I agree with. And if there are good things, we can mention them along the way once we delve into new angles. We just have to be able to do this without getting lost because this film is a two and a half hour convoluted mess. I don't believe it's malicious in intent. If anything, I think it's trying to be profoundly good. But boy, is it troublesome all the same, and boy, does it fall on its face. So, <clears throat> start with what's been said so far, and like I said, we don't need to go into this in ridiculous depth. There are plenty of places you can go for that. We Hate Movies did three hours with Angelica Jade Bastian just, just ripping this thing a new one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Angelica's review is probably worth tracking yep. down as well. And, uh, okay, so what was mentioned in things that we've read, heard, and watched... Number one, Diana's lack of engagement with the world of men and her refusal to engage in other crises. So this is kind of a, like they wrote themselves into a corner with Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice because they said Diana is definitely here, but she was also definitely here in 1917 and that means she has to be have, have been kept a secret by the world. Well, maybe she went back to Themyscira. No, you may never return to Themyscira. You know, if she could return to Themyscira, that'd be so much. But nope, no, she stays in the world. Okay, so what does she do? <clears throat> it's unclear. They, I believe, shot themselves repeatedly in the foot by avoiding the... Nazi interaction that is part of Wonder Woman's origin comic yeah. persona. Yeah, she was punching Nazis around the same time Cap was. And by bouncing her back to World War One, which at the time I completely understand why they did it, but they have then left themselves with this great swathe of years when she doesn't get involved in much and certainly doesn't get involved in uh, World War Two, which knowing the the persona that they are clearly trying to portray for her here seems wildly unbelievable like the only reason i could imagine the diana they want us all to see not and like. trying to track down hitler and tie him up with a lariat and punch him repeatedly in the face is that she was literally unconscious <laughs> i was trapped under some it's coats yeah, it was. That's a big blind spot, I think, for what this story is trying to set up. Because you're absolutely right. Like, if the first Wonder Woman film is set in World War One, World War Two is right there. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're going to do a sequel where it jumps forward in time, it's right there. Now, maybe they thought that the Nazi Hitler World War Two stuff was kind of played to death, but I would then bring up the fact that isn't setting it in the 80s also kind of done to death at this point? So yes. what difference does it make? <laughs> yeah. Also, if the point that you're then going to lean on is she only gets involved with the really, really big stuff. Like mall robberies. My point being that if you're then going to bounce effectively from World War to World War, and then you set it in the 80s, and then you don't make it entirely about her getting involved in the, the Cold, Cold War... War 
then again. Or, or the Iran-Contra crisis mm-hmm. or yeah, something, something like that. Something huge that was happening at that time. Again, yes. there is the point sailing right by your shoulder. Ooh, that might require some research. And research is not on the table for this one. <laughs> do you know what Gail Simone can do? Research! I was going to say, it seems really weird as a choice to be like, we are going to set Wonder Woman's first big adventure in one of the greatest conflicts of the world. And then after that... Uh, petty crimes. <laughs> Wait a minute. He was about to steal a useless piece of magic rock. <laughs> My goodness. Pretty much, yeah. She's basically running around trepping up, uh, treading on Batman's like, toes. Oh, she stopped a child from being killed. But at the same time, it's like, uh, she didn't enter that mall thinking there's going to be a diamond robbery and a child is going to get dangled and she don't even know it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and also, coming up a lot lately. Mm-hmm. And also, like, compare that scene to literally any combat scene in the first one, and it's a cartoon. Mm. Yep. Like, we hate movies said this, and they were absolutely bang on. I would, I would question their choice of music. The times they are a changing. Come gather around, people, wherever you roam. That's the beginning of Watchmen. Just a montage of stuff that Wonder Woman was part of throughout the 20th century. I said, well, not everybody wants to rule the world, but now I can't think of a better song for it. (laughs) Just to set you in the 80s. It's the beginning of Peter's Friends. And so it's like, rather than just what happened over the last 10 years, what happened over the last 67 years? And it's like Wonder Woman literally punching Hitler. And it's like, she was there, folks. One of the lines in this song is literally holding hands while the walls come tumbling down. How they didn't just take this song, get that one piece of imagery into the movie, and build the rest of the film around it, I do not know. Yeah, that was it, I just said. Should have had a montage of 67 years of subtle nudging, and then I put in brackets, she should be Gandalf. There were ways to illustrate her character in this movie as having actually done a lot of stuff over the years, but in a very quiet, subtle, just at the periphery, just sort of nudging people forward. And so everyone's like, this Wonder Woman? I don't think she really exists. Like, she's she's kind of an urban legend, but no one ever really wants to believe in these stripes and spangles until Superman comes along and proves that heroes can exist, because they got dicks. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. dicks are coming up, folks. Not literally, oh, yeah. that'd be hideous. Um, so <laughs> many. <laughs> the, that does give you an opportunity as well to play up the the goddess angle, that the involvement mm. in yeah. the, in the trauma of World War One could quite feasibly have made her feel, I can't do this, this is too much. Um, there are no other heroes around for me to interact with and I cannot carry this all on my own. I'll stay in the background and just get involved in the little things around the edges where I can. But you need to show that. You need to show that evolving as opposed to it just being, what's she been doing for the last 67 years? Well, she had a really long nap and then she turned up at this jewellery robbery. She is really into art and antiques and stuff. Yeah. That's her thing. And I think that's a that's a good point of bringing up like the goddess aspect. Like being seen as this sort of otherworldly mythical figure can almost be a way of of dealing with that exact thing. Like you're such a big, uh, you're such a big concept at that point that it's almost like, well, I'm not even, I'm not even a person anymore. 
Mm. And it does which, I, which in some way could actually help her. Like she doesn't feel like she has to take on so much of the responsibility because she is such a larger than life thing. Mm. It might not be the healthiest tack, but it is a way to take that character. Mm. And it doesn't then lay the groundwork for the uh, mythologizing of the DC Holy Trinity. Wonder Woman is a mm. goddess, uh, Superman is an alien, yes. and Batman yeah. is a demon. I am frankly amazed that this character's been around on the big screen since 2016, either written by, directed by, or produced by Zack Snyder every single time, and no one has said with a straight face, do you believe the Wonder Woman exists? And using the the, but it didn't happen. And uh, it's 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 better that it didn't, for goodness sake. The Bat of Gotham. I don't, does anybody ever actually call her Wonder Woman? I don't even Does know. Does she call herself Wonder Woman? I don't, I don't think it's ever happened. I don't, I don't think so. Most people just refer to her as Diana. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah. Oh my God, they haven't even got that Superman moment from the very first Richard Donner Superman. <sighs> or even from Man of St Anyway, so moving on to the third I'll, thing. I'll, I'll say real quick, though, know, the thing I'd like to see in that montage is why she got so cynical. So much of the first movie is about her, like, the world of man has so many interesting things. It's like I a fish out of screen. water piece. Yeah. And she's, like, really interested in what is there for her to experience. And then her man dies, and then she's just sad for 67 years, just cynical. Oh, all of the wonder in the world is gone. Yeah, there's uh, which no, I guess... no curiosity, no interest left in anything. Yeah, and, and even the fact that she throws herself into antiquities is so, like, that's still tied to her origin. Mm. Like, she knows this because she or other people that she personally knew were there. Like, it, it's not embracing the world, which was, like, a big part of her interest in the first movie. It's... But... That's because, as your third piece you're about to say is... <laughs> she's still so hung up on this one guy. You're right about antiquities. Mm -hmm. It's dwelling on the past. Mm -hmm. She's not moving forwards. Yeah. She's stuck. Specifically, it's dwelling on the past. As you rightly point out, Victoria, it's the past before she got involved in all this yeah. World War One yeah. shit. And, um, exactly. And, and even with that... You could still do something with that. Like, mm. it's so, this film to me is so frustrating because there are like little threads here and there where you could see them having done something with the ideas that they propose. Like, the whole thing about her being obsessed with the antiquities. She mentions that, oh, this object, this artifact came from a really, really bad god. Now, wouldn't it have been? super freaking cool if maybe she had some kind of history with that god and met them at some point in this story and yeah. they had some kind of personal conflict with each other like that makes for a really compelling story and if they had just pulled out some of those little threads you could have something here all just the theme of the story is Diana is obsessed with antiquities, obsessed with the past, hung up on Steve, still can't get over him. And one of the themes about this film is her actually getting over him. And you could argue mm. at me, Alex, yeah. that's exactly what this film is. To which I'd reply, is it though? <sighs> like, it's not really clear about that. And she's still maudlin about it in Batman v Superman and Justice League, so fail. Just because a thing mm -hmm. happens over the space of about 45 seconds in a film does not mean that's what the film is about. Yeah, but like, right. ultimately, like, she needs, it needs to be spoken and confronted and talked about, and she needs to basically, like, even if she hasn't done anything and she's just sort of stepped away from the world, that's noteworthy. That's mm -hmm. characterization. Her yeah. deciding you then, I'm actually going to 
going to start doing something, but I'm going to be, I've got to still stay in the yeah. shadows. Yeah. That's that's at least progression between there and 2016 when, well, when the sons of Martha had their little spat. <laughs> and it allows yeah, exactly. as well. That would allow, we are the sons of Martha! That would allow for a much more... Uh, balanced and engaging relationship between her and Barbara because Mm. when Barbara does her, um, you know, oh, I want to be like you because you're so, you're statuesque and you're gorgeous and everybody thinks you're wonderful. And And the feet, oh my God! And these clothes that you wear are amazing and I envy all of this about you. But the, the rebound on that is, yes, but that is all superficial stuff. I am detached. I cannot engage with this world. Look at the way that you, Barbara, engage with the people around you, that you are invested in your job, you are invested in your community in a way that I can never be. And I envy that. There again, you have something there. You have a foundation. If like she, honest to goodness, cannot get over this one man, Barbara could be there as support for her. So at least she has a really good lady friend that she can rely on and that she can you know, bounce ideas off of and can help her get through this process. She has a really, really good friend or whatever. Partner. You could take that in a no. number of different directions. I'm sure a lot of people wanted to see it go in a direction where either Barbara kind of has a crush on her, maybe they explore a bit of a relationship between the two of them. Why not? But we can't because this film, for some reason, insists on being so... Uh, Victoria, I don't want to steal any thunder from you, no, but insists on good. being very cis heteronormative oh, in like every <laughs> single frame of every single shot. Well, I'm going to have a lot of fire for that. But I was going to say, I have like a whole pitch on how they could have written this with Barbara as being like, it, so when you first meet Barbara, she's very queer coded. And the whole time I'm like, you actually have chemistry. Like, like mm. Diana, you are detached. Barbara is not detached, but a little envious of you. And that envy could be the, the the kind of friction between them. And we could have seen a relationship develop. And then whenever they find the stone, the negative quality of Diana's wish, whatever it would have been, could have been Steve coming back. And that would have been the negative side of it, drumming up the problems mm. and hurting the relationship. How? And yeah. it would have been so much more interesting. Because okay. in it the end, they could have still actual... ended up together. Yes, it would have been an actual story. And that, again, that's probably the most frustrating thing about it is you see the foundation of a really compelling, different, and I would say pretty brave storytelling coming out of this. Like, this could have really been something. And yet, this is what we got. Wonder Woman as a concept, the original Wonder Woman was created by like a three person mm-hmm. non monogamous couple yeah. that was super into bondage. Yeah. Like thinly, a thinly, ve- yeah, where Diana is a thinly veiled like BDS dom. <laughs> So yeah. in the first movie, they even Diane even mentions about how they don't need men in the mascara because like they're beyond these concepts mm-hmm. of like monogamy and, and masculinity and heterosexuality and things. And like, Fucking embrace that. The yeah. the fact what, a, that, what a concept. If only they had actually done something with that. Yeah. We gotta they, put they, a pin in this. Yes, we exactly. Do. No, uh, I but, but so I much think, more. But Victoria, you're absolutely right. Any of the gender politics that came up in the first Wonder Woman movie are completely gone. They have abandoned any of that stuff for this film. And it is so baffling when you consider that a lot of the same people 
that were behind the filmmaking of Wonder Woman from 2017 are on this project as well. It's almost like the writer of The Expendables didn't pay attention to what happened in the first movie. Weird. It's almost as if. Yeah. Okay. I'll give it a list. Interesting. Here's all the things we want you to watch. Got to finish this list. Got to finish it. Because we can't talk otherwise. Number four, quantum (laughs) leaping into some guy and the ethics thereof. Okay, we've got to explain this to the people listening who haven't seen it, especially the British. Um... I'll just, I'll be very quick. She gets her hands on a magic wishing rock and uh, she wishes that Steve Trevor was there. She, I don't think she wishes that out loud, but uh, then he turns up at a party and she can't see that it's him to begin with. He's just some guy. And then eventually the camera turns around. It's a really nice touching shot and it's actually Steve Trevor and he has in, is now inhabiting the body of some guy in the 80s. I've got to be really quick about this because everyone else has already talked about it. It is really fucking creepy, yeah, and there is the no reason for plot. it. <laughs> because look, it's it's a magic rock. Every, like those cows came out of nowhere later. There's fucking cows everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Those like. And, and, the, and you're ooh. right. It has been said before, but why not just have Steve show up yeah. again? And him basically be made of, like, stardust. And, like, so when he goes back to that, he just evaporates, like... At this point, he's made out of wishes. Yes. Why not? But no, they're like, no, 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 that doesn't make any sense. Like, we got to do this the way that uh, the the Street Fighter movie did and make a real-world reason how he can be here. It doesn't matter. It's all magic and sorcery and all this other mysticism going on. You may as well just have him made out of wishes and stardust. So Steve is surfing around in this guy's body. They go back to clearly his place, though it's never said out loud. This guy's pad. They do say that at one point. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they do. And they fuck. And then they wake up the next morning. He's cramming down uh, prop tarts. They are the most (laughs) deliciousest thing ever. And (laughs) trying on all sorts of outfits. Later on, getting him into lots of life and death situations. Mm. What? Well, not just life and death situations. We're talking international incidents. This yeah. man is now a terrorist yeah. Yeah. in like yeah. three and, Middle and Eastern not, countries. Yeah, Dude, the cameras that video so... him aren't videoing Steve Trevor. They're videoing this videoing some guy, guy who's going to yeah, wake exactly. up and fight his own face on the news. Like, exactly. I was never in the this, White House. The second <laughs> this guy gets back in the States, he is going to be scooped up by the FBI, the CIA, like mm-hmm. every single government official that is in that airport yep. is picking him up straight away and saying buddy you are coming to a Absolutely. locker room with he us right now. He sees the Interpol most wanted poster and he's like what the hell did I drink at that party? You are charged with having exactly. a fist fight in the Roosevelt room. <laughs> <laughs> There's like a six foot portrait of him on the wall. Anyway. No so, kidding. Uh, so yeah, uh, yeah we could go on and on and on but it's been said already elsewhere this part of the movie makes no sense and like it's so weirdly cut around and it feels like there was more there to it and this was going to be a point where it's like later on Diana realises this is ethically questionable at best. Yeah, no shit. Uh, And uh, it just gets done away with. The movie kind of waves a magic wand and she says goodbye and runs away from him and then she meets the guy again later and again, as uh, I think uh, Steven Sadak said uh, on We Hate Movies, the last thing she does in this film is make a dude happy. And, and they, they frame it to look like it's the end of a fucking, like, a Hallmark Christmas movie? Mm-hmm. It is really strange. If you believe in the power of wishes, we'll get to that. Um, but that was number five. The, 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 this movie is so absolutely chock full of Wonder Woman 
being all about guys, and it made me realise, and I think I'm going to jump ahead a little bit here, I could compare this to Captain Marvel, but every other fucker does that, and it's just, it's just like, we shouldn't necessarily make women fight to be the best at being the woman in the spotlight. Mm. At all. Looks pointedly end sequence. Yes, anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And that's it, that seems to be something that this movie has forgotten as well. But I'm going to compare this to Black Panther unfavorably. Black Panther means so much to so many. Wonder Woman should be the film series that means that much to women for the same reasons. And that should be endemic to the plot. That should be endemic to the themes. Mm. It should be demonstrated the film's stance on women through Wonder Woman, the film series. The way that Black Panther actually does, unusually for a Marvel film, unusually for a Disney film, lay down some challenging and uncomfortable aspects of colonialism and how black people are treated the world over. We still think that Killmonger kind of had a point. And now that film is even more tragic. But... Here's the thing. Wonder Woman is about dudes, and then the second Wonder Woman is also about dudes. There's a girl there for a bit, and then she's a cat, and then she's not. So this... in, in defense in yep. defense of the first Wonder Woman movie, I will... I, so, though I don't think it sticks the landing very well, and you're right, there's a ton of dudes in that first Wonder Woman, but I will say this about it. As much as I like... Uh, as much as I like Captain Marvel, as much as I like some of these other Marvel properties, there is, everybody knows that one scene in Wonder Woman where I could not even believe that it made me actually feel something. I got choked up. I was fighting back tears during that one scene. It was very, very emotionally effective. And not even Captain Marvel got me to that point. You know what I mean? Ah, so, but I'm not pitting this I, up against much, Captain Marvel. I'm pitting this against I, I Black Panther, that. which made me cry over and over again. Yeah, I mean, that's that's totally fair. As it somebody me, not but black totally at all. I totally understand why it would. But, you know, for, for me, that scene in Wonder Woman genuinely got to me in a way that a lot of these other superhero movies, no matter what they are, uh, you know, some of the Marvel movies have gotten me there, but not all of them. Wonder Woman did. And you're you're talking about the no man's land scene, right? Yes, absolutely. Where, where I, I could have made some joke and just picked whatever random scene, but um, <laughs> thank but, you for not. So you're talking about a specific scene where she decides to not do what everybody else is saying to take the uh -huh. shorter path mm -hmm. in order to improvise being a hero. Hmm. This movie certainly doesn't have anything to say about that in the first ten minutes, but. Uh, oh, whoa. Mm -hmm. Right. But, but the, the fact that in the first Wonder Woman movie, like, we are at war. The, the, the dudes that she's rolling with are heroes in the, like, people who did good things in war are heroes. But she is a capital H hero in that yes. movie. And in this one... Like she's always correct. Like her her morals, her ethics are are very correct in the first movie. And in this one, there is literally a scene where uh, Diana says, "Well, we have like the the only way to to fix this is to renounce our wishes." And Barbara's like, "Ah, oh, fuck that." And Diana also says, "Fuck that." And yeah. it's Steve who is like, 
are you crazy? Absolutely not. We need to, like, you need to do what's right. It, Steve is the moral hero of this movie the entire way through. Yeah, it's he so really weird. is. It, it is. They almost do a complete 180 from the, from the, morality and how they set that up in the first Wonder Woman movie, which again is really weird when you consider a lot of the same people were on both projects. I don't want to get into this too much, but I do just like, because Victoria, you just kind of reminded me of something else that I could add to my list of tropes of Snyder films that kind of weirdly end up in this movie. And one of the big ones is that the hero and the villain share the same motivations and the same moral code. Yeah, that's a big, big trope in a lot of Zack Snyder films. Uh, And we'll get to some of the other ones. But you just reminded me of one of the other big ones that shows up in this. It made me go, oh, no, they're taking such a huge step backwards with Mm -hmm. Wonder Woman 84. Really, if anything, Alex, the the sequel that this does most closely remind me is that second Zombieland movie, like you said, Mm because it makes the first one like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. kind of worse in retrospect. <laughs> I do wonder how that could have happened when it was written by the same guy. This episode ran long. In fact, it ran for two and a half hours. However, I figured that much like the movie itself, it needed to be edited down for pacing. Luckily, all the footage trimmed will be in a Patreon-exclusive Cutting Class episode. One 15-minute clip that got trimmed here was the intro to the section where we started talking about the new things that don't seem to have been discussed in much detail yet. In effect, a second opening for this episode. We also talked about how with Themyscira and the mall scene, they shot two different intros for the film, and somehow both of them ended up in the movie. And my theory is that we were watching a veritable Snyder Cut of every single bit, every single scene, every single possible scene from the various versions of the film as it was made and remade and course corrected over the course of two years, all shoved together to make one incoherent mess. But the important thing to carry forward from that section is that Diana improvises during the opening obstacle course to get herself back on track. And she's a little kid up against fully grown Amazons. But she's told that she doesn't qualify because she didn't follow all the rules. And the rules are the same as the truth. And the truth is the most important thing ever. And that's a major theme of the movie and it is majorly muddled. Victoria and Maya also made the point that this film is set in the 1980s purely for shallow visual aesthetic and to keep it before 2016's Batman v Superman. It does not engage with the politics of the era, doesn't even contain that much in the way of 80s music. It's almost joyless, but in a silly way. I don't know how you could be that, but it is. And in terms of when this movie feels like it was actually made, I put it in 2007. Basically, imagine if Joss Whedon got to make his Wonder Woman film, only he didn't get to write the dialogue, and it was based on an even worse story than that one was. Post-Batman Begins, but pre-The Dark Knight, so they haven't yet realised, oh shit, this can make us a billion dollars, and definitely pre-Iron Man in 2008. This ignores the MCU and everything good about the MCU, including structure, which the MCU, while it's been accused of being formulaic, is pretty good at. 
The weird double thing is, if it had been made in 2011, it would have gone up against Thor. If it had been made in 2014, instead of Thor The Dark World, that film was going to be directed by Patty Jenkins. Now I feel like this is what Thor The Dark World would have been like if human glass of water Alan Taylor hadn't been brought on instead. <sighs> um, Better movie? Yeah. Question mark? <laughs> but um, yeah, this, is, this is like the Avengers didn't happen. The, uh, Captain America The Winter Soldier didn't happen. I said, it, honestly, the tone changing wildly from what, film one to film two isn't too bad because Captain America The First Avenger was more cartoonish and then it got much more serious for um, Winter Soldier. It's like... And it's fine for it to work in reverse, but the tone has to be consistent and this really bloody isn't. Mm-hmm. Number yeah, two. Within it, the own movie, it needs to be consistent. Yeah. Number two point. Lyra, our daughter, was bored shitless by this film, which means that aiming it at kids didn't work. And that's a goddamn shame. She should have absolutely adored this, but she didn't. Number three, it also reminded me of X-Men Apocalypse, which came out the same year as Batman v Superman, was set in the 80s for no reason, and did about as much with it. And... They both have the same scene. Remember when I did my almost drunken movies with Mikey style, uh, sorry, Age of Apocalypse, uh, X-Men Apocalypse episode, where I was just like, right, I'm just going to play you the music they should have been using throughout this, like like an angry 80s DJ. Here, you're just going to lay a little Annie Lennox on your ass. Both films have the same scene. All the missiles get launched. And they all go up in the air. And I went, even before, like, as they were launching, I went, this is the same scene. They're all going up in the air, and I'm not the least bit worried that a country's going to get bombed because they'll just be magically wished away because we live in magic wishing world. And in yeah. X-Men Apocalypse, I'm launching all of these nukes and then just, uh, they're elsewhere. And we even, like, to punctuate that moment in the X-Men film, we got Stan Lee looking into the sky. So it's like, oh my God, a terrifying moment. Oh, Stan Lee, I saw him. Did you see him? There was Waldo. They're so remarkably similar, but X-Men Apocalypse is quicker. And I think I hate X-Men Apocalypse more because it was like, you really did well with uh, with uh, um, First Class. You did pretty okay and people seem to really like it with Days of Future Past, even though it's fucking Brian Singer. And this is a hunk of shit. And it's okay to like that movie if you like it, but it's got the same problems in many cases as this film. As in, they're just like, oh, who cares? They go to a mall, blah, blah. malls. Jubilee's in it. Yeah, she's also in 2000, who cares? It's just, lazy is a really good way of putting it. Like, I don't know how you can work so long on a movie for so many years and put so much into it and for it to still feel quite so lazy. Um, Barbara and Deep breath. Victoria, if you would like to talk in more depth now about Barbara, because clearly this this got to you. Yeah, I, this is I mean, cheetah, I gotta, folks. I have a whole pitch that I want to give in Go a second, it. but Bar- Barbara Minerva, who is a gemologist, a lithiologist, and a cryptozoologist, which wow. like, what a triple threat! Um, <laughs> the third cheetah in the comics, by the way, she was introduced in 1987. There was I, other cheetahs before her. Yeah, I, I hate that. So in the beginning of the film, she's kind of like 
little like soft-spoken introverted kind of nerdy and the the way that she interacts with diana is a very kind of flustered like very queer coded kind of interaction asks her to lunch is like too nervous about it and diana who's like kind of warm to barbara like the first time we've seen her like kind of be genuine and they even go to lunch and then and then Diana mentions that she's still Chris Pining for uh, Steve Trevor. And then Barbara's entire like coding, her entire attitude, everything about her just changes on a dime. And she's no longer like interested. And, and, and I was just like, why would you waste that? Why would you, mm. why would you, because now she's just envious woman who latches onto weird awful Trump man, Max Lord, and just becomes the, the old trope of like, I have to hate you because I'm jealous of you. When like this movie passes the Bechdel test before that moment and never again. (laughs) And, and I think that's fascinating. And to me, like if, if I could give you real quick, something that I was thinking about, if, if you did this movie where it was, one, shorter, and two, the stakes were lower than everything blowing up in nuclear hellfire, you keep the, the Dreamstone, you get rid of Max Lord entirely, you make it so it can make multiple wishes, but they're, like, kind of, like, small, and you make the primary, like, crux of the film be a character piece with Diana trying to sort out why like her her emotional relationship with Barbara who is also trying to figure it out and then you have their final climactic like fight scene where Barbara wished to have Diana's powers and Steve accidentally got brat back because of the whole thing and it creates this whole like three-way problem where Diana tells Steve I loved you and like, but you have to go and then ends the fight with Barbara with I love you. And that's what per, that's what causes the 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 conflict to resolve where and like the final scene could be them burying the wishing rock somewhere. Be like, like, this shit's crazy. Like, we, we can't let other people get this and end with that. It would be such a better movie. I mean, you would have the problem because then the question would be, well, where is Barbara during the later movies like in the chronology? But, but like, that's uh, a problem that I don't care about. Because yeah, you can answer that in a different movie, movie and just say, yeah, well, well totally, let's catch up on Barbara. It's totally fine. It's totally I mean, it, fine to deal with that at some other film or whatever down the line. Like, but, it's, that's yeah, fine. Talos came back. It could, mm-hmm. it could even But that's none of my a, business. It could, even, <laughs> it could even just be a situation where Barbara's like, look, you know, I still have these powers and stuff, the same powers you have. I am going to watch over this this Dreamstone. Like, I want to go back with you, but I will always be here for you. And, uh, like, I'll come back at some point, but I need to make sure that this is disposed of appropriately. And I don't want, like, I, I don't really want you to know if, like, you know, if we if you don't know where it is, that's one fewer person that we have to worry about mm-hmm. and just have her go off. And then you could bring her back in another movie. And it would be this, like this, this pathos, this connection that they had, because uh, then this film would have ended with Diana with like the little melancholy of like seeing another partner leave, mm-hmm. but with the confidence and strength, knowing that she is not going to be broken by that because it doesn't like a partner going away doesn't remove the connection that you had. Mm-hmm. And then as a subtle thing, Kristen Wiig 
and Gal Gadot have way more chemistry in this movie than than Chris Pines and Gal Gadot does. Like, 100%. get you a man, like get you a man that looks at you the way Steve Trevor looks at airplanes. <laughs> <laughs> he has more yes, chemistry so with the jet than with that Diana. Is like, very what the very heck? True. It's and you, but they. You know what? They could do something with that. Have Steve just like be obsessed. Like if he's gonna come back, have him be obsessed with all like the new technology to where he doesn't even give a shit about Diana anymore. Is he gonna I mean, marry the jet like that person that, married the Eiffel no, Tower? Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, that could be kind of funny. Um, oh. I think there are there are several that like that definitely could have been something, Victoria. There are so many ways that they could have pulled something compelling, something engaging, something unique out of this film and everything just falls flat. One of the things that I found the weirdest about this whole thing was that it seems to stem from like when you were talking about Barbara's like transformation, all of a sudden she just goes through this complete 180 from this very uh, geeky character. Apparently the thing that turns her life completely around is learning how to walk in heels. Yeah. It's so fucking to, weird. I have thought. To be on fair, that. my life turned around pretty hard after I realized how to walk in heels. But we, we shall not experience. underestimate it. You have a, yeah, but yeah. that's yeah. But, that's but not uh, To be fair, yeah, my life became very different when I realized I didn't have to try to walk in heels anymore. <laughs> so there's a big I heel mean, thing that's going totally on. That's totally fair too. That's totally fair too, but it's like there's just weird there seems to be some weird foot fetish stuff going on in this film. Oh also. my god! Just, you think? Oh my but god, no, you are. But like, you that's are. the thing that like the the envy stems first and foremost from the fact that she really likes Diana's shoes mm. and she can't yeah. walk in heels. So it's, oh that, man, that if is, only, if only, guys. That is ultimately a. It, it's maybe not the lens that a lot of people, particularly straight people, would think of, but having a relationship that grows out of a spark of do I want you or do I want to, to be, be you. like you do yeah. I want to be you and, and have something that you have that is something that I, I mean I don't know about anybody else maybe I'm taking this way too personally but that is something that I've had to examine more than once in my life and it, that is an, an interesting way for a, a relationship to grow and after you've outlined that idea for um, a relationship between the two of them Victoria I have now got this image in my head of a scene between Diana and a much, much older Barbara in um, either BVS or Justice League where uh, Barbara is basically being Rachel in Highlander where she's been with um, around Diana her whole life and is saying She'd to her... She'd only be 55 at this point. Well, oh, I suppose Rachel kind of was about that as well. Yeah, but, yeah. but the point being that that gives somebody to say... Don't go off and get involved with these strange men in cloaks. They will only make your life worse. Side note, my <laughs> God, does Diana need a supporting cast? She needs a Jimmy Olsen. She needs a, a Lois Lane. She needs a Perry White. She needs an Alfred. Mm. Who's Diana so got? A Barbara, even a depowered Barbara that she then gets to hang around with after this would have come in really useful. Yeah. I mean, even even if some, even if uh, Barbara at the end, like had to stay like a cat person and that's why she couldn't be with Diana all the time would have made more sense. I mean, it's also interesting the cryptozoologist has become the cryptid, but... Yeah, uh, <laughs> nice. yeah but, notice but, that they don't do anything with that in the actual film. Hmm. No, not even a little bit. But, not but, the idea, a bit. But, but the idea of like, there's, there's so many ways why 
like they might not be together at the end, but having it that they could have been that they want to, that kind of like melancholy is, I, I maybe it's just me, extremely relatable, but also understanding that my love for this person doesn't diminish my love that I had for this other person mm. or, or have, depending on your, you know, level of monogamy or polyamory. But yeah. it's just like, why do we need to keep this heteronormative monogamous bullshit in here when there was like, it was right there. I know. Right and this, there. this again makes me really go back to, you know, it really feels like Zack Snyder's fingers are, are really all over this film. That's another one of his weird tropes is that everything has to be so very strictly heteronormative. Mm-hmm. Everything. The, the... Absolutely everything. And to step outside of those boundaries is not like, we can't even, we can't even acknowledge it. We can't address it at all. We can't, even enter into any of those kind of thoughts yeah and it strips away so weird. a lot of the um the the hinted at um sexuality that was in diana in the first film because mm-hmm. it basically reshapes her way of looking at um sexual affection and attraction and, and connection with people to it's okay to have sex as long as it's just with the one person who you love very very much and will stick with for the rest of your life yeah it's huh? very it's a very strangely like a cel- i don't want to say celibate but like a very sanitized version of sexuality where yeah the one person that you fell in love with x many years ago that's the person that you are just in love with for the rest of your life. We all know it doesn't fucking work that way. Mm. Like even you guys that have been together forever, Alex and Sharon, <laughs> you f- I'm sure you fell in love with people before you met each other. Um... <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong. Really? No. Um, We are the worst examples for that. (laughs) You know what? Fuck you guys. Fuck you. Okay. 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 We had relationships before we met each other. Let's put it. But like, she doesn't. That's the thing. No, you've just made your own point very well there. Diana doesn't have to fall in love with everybody. Just have human relationships. Trust me, it'll help if you want to interact with humans. Yeah, she can go on a brunch date with a bunch of Barbaras. Why not? Basically, like, her being, like, that level of, no, I will only love this one man I knew for three days, is kind of like saying, none of the rest of you humans can measure up. It's like, whoa, why are you trying to help them then? And, and how does that relate it's to It's like tr- treating us like experiments or something. Like, it's like, well, I'm not going to, you know... It's it's almost like a Vulcan looking at a human and going, <laughs> you know, like, you're more of a dog to me. I, I, I live for a long, 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 long time. I can't really get involved in, in your here and there, but I'll pet you. I'll, you know, I'll tell you you're a good boy. <laughs> I just appreciate that at the end... Uh, Steve Trevor, and she's like, I'll never love anyone. He's like, God, I hope that's not true. Get Did he actually you. say that? Yeah, yeah he's like, there are what we loads of men like, in the world. Go out hell. and find one of them. Like, my or... God, does she turn into an incel at the end? Like, why? <laughs> well, that's that... what she was doing for the 67 years. She was posting on proto-Reddit. Yeah, no kidding. She got black-pilled in, like, that period. <laughs> yeah. Also, like, there are loads of uh, um, women... Sorry. There are loads of men in the world. Go out and find one of them. Does that imply that this version of Diana is the only hetero Amazon who ever existed that we know of? Because... 
who the fuck else are you going to be with if you're living on Themyscira? Which, again, she has already implied in the first film that the Themysciran women sleep together. Yeah. yeah. She also it, talked quite you know, a bit about it, it wanking. Almost, it, it feels a little bit like Diana should have been, like, pansexual or something. Yes! Or the actually, she might have actually gotten jiggy with Pan at one point. So, like, she's, like I'm the original which, pansexual. Yeah, but, <laughs> uh, but that would have been really fucking cool if, like, we have the first a superhero that is like out outwardly you know like out pansexual and proud like how fucking cool would that be hmm. yeah especially again since the character's roots are in a polyamorous heavy bondage like yes yeah. you have like, you what? have the found yes you've already laid the foundation for it like if this uh, I'm about to make a really bad uh, cat pun, but if this movie had any claws at all, <laughs> if it, had, if it teeth. had any teeth, if it had any claws, it would have gone all in on that kind of stuff. But again, doesn't want to engage with gender, doesn't want to engage with politics, none of that stuff yeah. at all. Can I, from this, can I just segue into one of the later points on the list? Do you mind if I just mm-hmm. bring this one out? Go for it, yeah. Because it fits in with what we've yeah, no, it, like I said, it, the film's a mess, so yeah. any navigation we can do... <laughs> Shortcuts? No. No, no Sharon. No you shortcuts. must observe the truth at all times. The truth is, if it's in the script, we do the put it in the film. Yeah, we got to hit this um, one checkpoint before we move on. Yeah, indeed. Right, My time so won't be just, extended. <laughs> just oh boy. To- Sharon, the truth is beautiful. There's nothing more beautiful than the truth. <laughs> the truth means doing it's playing so by all the rules. What well, fucking actually, Reagan bullshit okay, just, is that? Just a slight sidestep, actually, because that does bring up something that I was going to mention earlier and then forgot. the The whole thing about what following the rules and the the truth being really, really important. No, no, rules help seems, control the fun. <laughs> that seems very, very incongruous with one suggested theme, which the fact that they keep coming back to the idea of the monkey paw. The point of the monkey paw is that it's like uh, it's like you you can't violate natural laws. It's not like here's a set of rules that the monkey paw wrote with its own fair fingers. And if you violate any of these, you're going to prison. Um, it's it's a thing, you know, there are natural consequences to making these certain decisions. So that seems to be the direction that they wanted to go in in terms of the truth that she tries to hit Lord with at the end is to do with the natural consequences of what he's doing. It's not that he's broken any particular rule of men or or something like that. So that sort of sidesteps away from that. But just going back to this idea of uh, the, the fixation on Steve and that relationship being the most important thing in the world... One thing that occurred to me when they're having that discussion about um, her not wanting to give him up and, and this being the thing she's wanted all this time and now she's got it and she's unwilling to let go of it. The ethics around Steve hijacking somebody else's body aside, she strips him of all of his agency at that point. Yeah. Steve, it is in Steve, we've seen this in the first one, to sacrifice himself for the good of more than just him. And when they talk about 
her renouncing her wish, because obviously that is something that she has to do, he can't do that for her, um, or, or rather he can't take that choice back for himself. But when they're talking about it, all of his language is tailored around it's the right thing for you, Diana, to let go of this and, and you know, move on and let me go and, and you have to do this because it's for the good of all mankind. Nowhere in that conversation does he ever say, and I think this would have been a really important addition to it, I don't want to be here. You have brought me back when I already gave myself up for the world once, and now you are preventing me from doing what I can see is the right thing again. And that was totally just avoided yeah. entirely. Yeah, she takes away his choice in any of this and his, his agency, like you said. And I, I do agree that that would have been a pretty important point to make like if you're going to frame it in this way i think it's important for steve to actually have some kind of a say in what happens with his soul or his essence or whatever you want to call it absolutely otherwise he is basically a mail order dildo whoa I, well I mean, I mean with ethics what, what, uh, I, they even ha take a moment for steve to vaguely remember heaven and like oh. in this movie of Amazons and gods and magic, you needed to throw that little bit of like, but Christianity's the real one, right, guys? Whoa. That's what we're saying here. Oh, boy. Okay. Uh, actually, one thing is worth noting. Uh, I've put um, that they were, with Barbara, redoing yet again. Edward Nigma, as played by uh, uh, Jim mm -hmm. Carrey, the uh, guy who first told us that uh, uh, vaccinations were uh, bull hockey. And uh, they did the same thing in Iron Man 3 with Aldrich Killian, played by Guy yeah. Pearce, and the same with Maxwell Dillon, played by Jamie Foxx in Amazing Spider-Man 2. This version uh, of that... Hector Hammond in Green Lantern. Nice! Like, I forgot Hector this, Hammond. This character has been done to yeah. death at this point. The nerd who gets the effectively like a, a big crush and wants to be the hero and becomes obsessed and turns into a supervillain. Um I would say Barbara's is the best of all of these by a long shot. Like, Barbara gets stuff to do. I actually care about Barbara. Everyone else I kind of just wanted off the screen. What, okay, so I have a question for you, Alex. What mm -hmm. do you think makes her a better version of this character? Um, oh, God, I haven't prepared. Like, okay, I think it's just ah. because she's up against the worst possible. Like, it, it's just every other version of this is, is um, like... She'd have to be acne scarred with like a brace, a set of braces even as an adult and be like, I'm so excited, Diana. But she speaks like, you know, a, a shy woman would. And honestly, I feel like Kristen Wiig needs a fucking break. She's, she's only been in two big high profile films, the loathed, but I quite like it, Ghostbusters 2016 and the loathed Wonder Woman 84. Just like, it. there's something about the way she plays it that feels like there is an internal life going on there that you can kind of see a little bit more to Barbara than like, I, I don't think that uh, Victoria you'd be angling for this this development unless there was something there a charm a certain amount of I kind of like I want to get behind this like she's not crapped on by the whole world the way that a lot of the uh, uh, the rest of these um, examples are. They went so over the top, specifically in Amazing Spider-Man 2. 
Um, yeah. Uh, but at, at the same time, when she finally... She basically almost gets raped in the park by this horrendous dude. That's what I was just about yeah. to bring up, but um, continue. <laughs> I, I appreciate the fact that rather than him just being a stereotype, he was clearly a businessman. Like, he's, he's you know, he's a scumbag, but he's wearing a decent coat, a decent tie for the 80s. And He's coded as somebody who's affluent and successful. Bingo. Who gets away with that sort of shit. And mm -hmm. he almost, uh, um, well, something very upsetting almost happens. Remember, this film is being aimed at kids. And then Diana turns up and punches him into the middle of the next week. And Bob is like, whoa, how did you do that? And she's, he's like, oh, it's just a judo sort of weight redistribution. So easy. And then later on, when she gets cat powers, she he turns up again. <laughs> like, hey, baby, <laughs> round two. And then she beats the living fuck out of him in what felt like the most human and real scene of the film like someone who like i'm i'm actually strong now i don't have to be afraid anymore and takes it a little too far and then we a movies pointed this out the nice hobo that she gave some food which illustrated that she was kind unlike everyone else mentioned above um, runs over and starts browbeating her and going this isn't you barbara i mean i know we don't we don't really know each other but you shouldn't keep beating up this checks notes rapist um and <laughs> yeah, it, it just felt like you know i was rooting for her at that point and then they just move on quickly and she turns up again like in libya or something but what, yeah, yeah. okay so, so what were you gonna say what i was i i actually uh, i kind of i i sneakily set you up for that question because uh, i actually wanted to talk about this <laughs> yeah there is again another big Zack snyder trope rape and implied rape we can check that off the oh, list for this movie for some right. reason but I think a good a good point that you bring up is the fact that there does seem to be some kind of internal life going on in yeah. Barbara's character, but also she does get that scene where she gets to practice a little bit of her own agency. Hmm. No, the power is not of her own making like she wished for it. So it's not, you could argue that it's not real, but when she comes across this situation for the second time, she doesn't have to rely on somebody else to get her out of that situation. She can take care of it herself. Mm. And she has one of the biggest moments of like, I'm going to take my own agency and protect myself. I'm going to actually defend myself. That's a big character moment for her. Yeah. You could argue. And the film definitely takes the stand that she goes too far. But I would argue that this is one of the only moments of actual power that the film gives to a woman yeah. in this film. And for, you know, I'm, I would absolutely be on Barbara's side and saying, you know what, homeless guy that I met maybe a couple of times and occasionally I'm nice to, you don't have any right to tell me how to defend myself. You don't have the right to tell me how to protect my own body. I don't care who you are. I don't care how downtrodden you are. And I don't care how kind I have been to you in the past. You do not have the right to tell me how to do this. Well, and imagine if that scene still existed in the movie that I pitched. And Barbara, after that scene, like runs to, to Diana and she's thrilled, but a little concerned and taken aback. Like, I like I took power. I did this. Like I like you helped me be this kind of person that I was able to like stand up for myself. But I, I maybe I took it too far. Like I beat that guy pretty bad. But but how exciting! Like 
have Diana help her figure out those emotions and like help train her a little bit mm-hmm. to be like, well, if you're going to be like this, let me help yeah. you. I've been let doing me. this for a hundred some years. Or have yeah. uh, Diana make a mistake to begin with and say, you shouldn't do that. Like basically it's my job to save people. You shouldn't save yourself. And uh, Barbara be, basically can throw that back in her face with yeah. a very what specific right? men like that always get away with it and she says it to diana in a way that like in one very specific illustrative scene makes you realize that diana may be wonder woman but she hasn't really lived the way that women have lived yeah that she's so removed from it but yeah, <clears throat> yeah exactly the... she doesn't have she doesn't have the same lived experience ah, 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 ah. Hmm. The the thing about Barbara to me in this movie is when she wishes to be sexy, she becomes sexy, but only for a a male gaze kind of way. Because, like, introduce me to somebody with four master's degrees with the name of Minerva that looks like a kind of flustered librarian. Mm -hmm. And I'm way more interested in that person than, like, tight black dress and heels. So, like... Whose eye is she being made sexy for is my question yeah. for, for that. Well, we know the answer to it. But mm-hmm. like when when she had that whole transformation stuff, and I'm like, you don't actually look any better. Like I liked you more before. And even Diana, like if again, in my fan version of this, if Diana had been like, actually, I kind of liked you more the way you were, like you were already powerful you were already all of these things you wish to be you just didn't see it like or i or i already found you to be sexy you don't have to do all this yeah it's just the idea because then because then you could have had the whole conflict with barbara is like i want to be the perfect woman for this woman that i'm attracted to and diana being like no i like you the way you were and having that blow up in like you know a larger conflict of some sort where you know maybe barbara wants to go and try to save somebody and she messes it up because she doesn't have the experience and it's like you know there's there's so much more you could have done with that other than mystic trump becomes nuke man yeah i think dude it's it's so funny that we have barely mentioned that character at all and i think it is because it's exactly what you're saying victoria it's because the more compelling the more engaging story here would have been a conflict between diana and barbara and just focus on that that would have been like yeah and and maybe steve is there too if you if you want to go that route but yeah the the better story i and at least the more intriguing one is the one that you're describing is the one between Diana and Barbara. Yeah. I, I just, I, I like the idea of bringing back like some kind of simulacrum of Steve Trevor is like a negative part of the wish. So it becomes this conflict for Diana. And at the end she realizes that she should be here with humans, with Barbara and that Steve can go back to heaven and marry his jet. So then we're <laughs> all happy. And it's then everybody's just, happy. Yeah. And the jet's like, Steve. I've been waiting so long for this, Steve. Oh, okay. Show you my exhaust port. <laughs> Whoa, jeez! Yeah, no, not on the first day. Nobody touches my controls the way that you do, Steve. <laughs> oh my God. Nobody handles me quite the same way that you do. Yeah. Okay. Let's turn on my thruster. Oh, Whoa, God. Jesus! We can go on all day about this. Okay. <sighs> okay. Coming up, we have Blue Monday by New Order. That was released in 1987. Mm. Same year as Operation Wolf, which Victoria pointed out was in the arcades in this 1984 set movie. Anachronisms up the yazoo. 
you remember the first trailer where it was uh, really snappily cut and it was going like, we're in the 80s, lots of colour, and there was the very little uh, speaking and it was all just flavour. And then this guy, um, who looked really like Trump, sort of turned up and just started talking into the camera and I was like, oh my god. 1984. They're calling this 1984 for a really specific reason. We live in the misinformation yep. age. And 1984 was, we've always been at war with Eurasia. Like, the idea that you that the public can be told something and just take it on board and believe it. And you can parallel that with the Cold War. Okay, they're going to do something here. And they've got this horrendous looking Trump analogue. I hope this film comes out before, well... Frankly, I hope this film is dated when it finally comes out because I want him to be fucking old news. Like, there was still the possibility he might be impeached well before his first term limit at the time. And then we saw the film, and by the end of it, I was like, why is this 1984? George Orwell has nothing to do with this theme. And what the fuck is this character? Because in a way, he's a bit like Trump, and then it seems like he's not at all like Trump. I was a little bit worried about the whole framing it in 1984 because it really did seem like, oh God, is this going to be Wonder Woman defending Reagan's America? Mm. And like, the, I'm just, I'm so tired of the whole, we got to defeat the evil Russians. We got to, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit tired of that whole plot thread in, in these types of films. It's but looped really right the hell around to being relevant again. Yeah, it, it does, but I mean, like, it's it not just seems relevant in the same way. Yeah. It, no, and it seems very played to death, and it's a very, it's very, it's very wrapped up in a very anti-communist, anti-socialist message. So even Stranger Things was... hasn't finished chewing it yet. Mm. Yeah. When they so finally come back, like... it'll be the kids in their thirties, of course. But uh... <laughs> no, I mean, really, I mean, yeah, those kids aren't getting any younger. But any, but that was kind of what I was afraid of, and then the film didn't even really go in that direction either it's a very odd choice to place it to frame it in that way to call up that imagery and that those thematic points of 1984 and then set it in the 80s and then do almost nothing with it yeah it's very strange. I mean, as somebody who inexplicably recently reread 1984 for no good reason, uh, like that, that that book is intensely anti-fascist. Mm. Like or Orwell himself, like literally mm. took a break from from authoring to go and and kill Nazis. Like definitely mm. praxis, baby. But uh, <laughs> but the idea that they could have leaned into it because really the start. Uh, I mean. The start of American fascism is long before 1984, but so much of it becoming mainstream into the, the modern day of capitalistic fascism that we see in the United States really started in the 80s with Reagan, Reaganomics, and a lot of things like that. There's a lot of citations I could provide for that, but I don't, I don't want to. The mutation given, of the American conservative. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. the rabid individualism uh, mutating into the perverse uh, patriotism that we see today that, you know, do things like storm the Capitol building, what, three days before we uh, recorded this. Uh, I was so, literally watching her having a fight in the White House while those fuckos were storming the fucking Capitol just, building. Just, a film! So, <laughs> so they could have, they could have done something to deal with that where it's like, oh, actually, like, the, the, the creeping thread of like where this leads. Even the idea, imagine this, where 
you have the, 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 like, the main plot is Diana and Barbara's, like, conflict and, and relationship. But in the background, Diana's like, you know, I really saw, like, this kind of thing lead into some terrible shit and then juxtapose it with, like, actual flashbacks to her fighting the Nazis. 1984 is a, a warning. It's not a playbook, you know? Yeah. And just having it, like, Diana's preoccupation of, like, the way that the that America's going, like a lot of this rhetoric, I have heard this before, and mm-hmm. that preoccupation being the thing that maybe Barbara goes, hey, like I'm going to help, and she goes and like tries to to hurt somebody or attack somebody and uh, to like try to help Diana's like mind in this sense, and Diana's like, you can't just go and punch the president, like yeah, he's a fascist, <laughs> but like, but like it's way more complicated than that. Like we can't just go in and 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 bust this up. Um, and make like something like that be the conflict could be way more interesting and actually play to the theme of that that is evoked mm-hmm. by that year. Yeah, definitely, definitely. The, yeah, if you're going to if you're going to invoke it anyway, then yeah, that would be a perfectly viable direction to go in. It just, I mean, it's like we've been saying this whole time. Like, it's so weird to have it in this setting, and then it only vaguely hints at some of the things that were going on during that time. Yeah, and, and 1984 and Orwell in general are really only invoked in two different ways. Very rarely somebody will invoke it for like, actually this is what the themes of it was, this is what Orwell went and it's very anti-fascist. Or it will be invoked by horrible fascist chud saying that being suspended from Twitter is in fact Orwellian when it is not. And uh, they could have, uh, and, and instead of yeah. doing either of those, they just used the they used the year in the same way they used everything else from the 80s in this movie of, Set hey, I remember that meant something. Yeah. So pretty much exactly the same as Ready Player One then. Yeah, and, and like- Except somehow more cynical? Like, yeah, what? you're yeah, you're right. Absolutely more cynical, and even to and to, with less things to spot. Yeah, <laughs> and even with something like you know, you were talking like how much like Trump did they really want to be like? Hmm. I mean, I I get what they were going for with this Max Lord character, but you're you're really on the money here, Alex. When you say like he's kind of like him, but it like we're meant. He's meant to evoke Trump, but he's really not like him at all. Okay, here is the fundamental difference between the two of them. Uh, Maxwell Lord's catchphrase is, anybody? Like his thing he keeps saying and doing the finger guns at you with. Life is good, but it could be better. That is not what Trump says. That is Mm, not how he came to power. He doesn't want things to be better for anyone but himself. Trump used the fascist playbook, which is simple. Life is bad now. It was good then we can bring it back to when it was good, before all these people came in. You know the ones I'm talking about. They, they are very different characters. Maxwell Lord is not saying to people, the, the world used to be good and we can go back to it, and sort of embracing fascism with that. Like it's, he just kind of wants power in a sort of a non-specific, very wishy-washy kind of roundabout way. 
It's yeah, I, I got nearly all the way through the movie and I was like, hang on, I just realized I don't know what his fucking motivation is. He wants people to make wishes and he wishes on a magic wishing rock that he could be the magic wishing rock. It does. And at this point I was like, yeah. Wishmaster would come in and go, genie. as you wish. And he gets turned into a giant rock. <laughs> it, he does, his motivations do shift. So when at the, at the start of the film, he's driven by a fairly simplistic desire to be successful. He's got kind of an oil business that's flopped and he's resorting to Estate con artistry in order to keep the money flowing. Got it. So he's, but, he's money worries, but yeah. what he does but, is so specific. Is, one of one of the fundamental ways that I would say he differs from Trump is that they go out of their way repeatedly. Well, Trump is absolutely evil, soulless and boring. There is that. And if he was in a film, everybody would go, this guy is way too one-dimensional. What are you playing at? Once again, the movies, mm-hmm. even bad movies, yeah. come up with more dimensionality well, he's for Pedro them. Pascal, so he's already a million times better How than How could Trump. you do well, yeah, exactly. The Mandalorian and this in the same year? I was like, do you recognise this guy? Like, Technically, he Right, didn't. exactly. Yeah. Baffling. Baffling. Well, 2018 was Mando, I mean, like, first but, but, I mean, the casting is pretty good. Like, mm-hmm. if you want this type of character, like, forget about trying to invoke Trump. Mm-hmm. If you want this type of stereotypical 80s businessman character Pedro Pascal is a pretty good actor to cast for that because he does have that sort of he can play that superficial charm very well Mm. so in that sense it kind of works, but it seems like they don't exactly know what they want to do with this character and his motivations like you said are kind of all over the place So in a way, he, it feels a bit like he's he's a he's kind of wasted. Like his talent is a bit wasted on this character. Yeah. Well, he runs up against a similar problem that they end up having with Barbara, which is that they show these two characters as both having space in their way of looking at themselves for a little bit of introspection, for being able to reflect on what they've just done and have a thought about it beyond yeah, that was fine, let's move on and do the next thing. But they mm. never do. They never follow it through to the end. Mm. They never reach the conclusion, ah, maybe what I'm doing is bad. They need golden girl Diana to come and show it to them. There's there's no self-development there. And, and I, I, you know, I get that you don't always need to have that in villains, but when you create villains that have the dimensionality to incorporate that, use it. Mm-hmm. Never. <laughs> there is. It's notable. Like before, we move on from the whole fascism thing. That um, the, the, Snyder being massively into um, objectivism. Mm. I mean, that, like, it's really difficult to actually put it into uh, to, to words. But I suppose if you had a Venn diagram of the giant circle of capitalism, specifically late stage capitalism, crossing over just a little bit too much with fascism, you've got objectivism right in the middle there. So Snyder is not going to be able to say anything that we can trust regarding fascism. Right. And to, to, to put, you know, not too fine a point on it, the, the reason like one of the reasons why this character is modeled after Trump, it's just weird now, is that all of the 80s business villains mm. and 90s business villains were, yeah. were based after Trump. I mean, the Super Mario Brother movie has two of them. Yep. For I, goodness sake. And I back to the future part two. in fact, that Trump has modeled himself after the 80s capitalist villain. Well, well, what did we watch the other week where I was like, oh, my God, he's doing this. 
Who well, was the guy? Nuts. He had blonde hair, oh, obviously. And, and it was hilarious, and we were laughing. We were like, but it's so sad. Oh, God, I'll think of it in a bit. So but- the, the thing is, though, like, there was recently a, a YouTube channel I, like, did a big deep dive on how, like, for years and years and years, all of the movies are like, this man, this Trump man is the crime guy because he was doing crimes then, much as he's doing oh, now. no, that's it. Hang on. I remembered. So sorry. One second, Victoria. You're fine. Flash Gordon, only with the taste of Ming the Merciless <laughs> and the aspirations of Ming the Merciless. <laughs> Sorry, carry on, Victoria. But, but, yeah. but that's the thing is it's not even that Trump is currently positioning himself because he's been like this for 40 or 50 years. Yeah. Like he's literally been the crime business guy forever. And all no, of these villains being like like all of popular culture being like this guy, he's the bad guy. Cyril Sneer. yet people voted for him. But so I, to me, I think this character is very Trumpian because he – is offering people whatever it is that they need to hear mm. in order for him to gain more power because the only thing he cares about is himself and gaining power and money. Mm. And what could possibly be more Trumpian than that? Like, mm. he's not a fascist. He is because he's a capitalist and there's like mm. a one-to-one connection. But he's not a fascist because he's a fascist. He's a fascist because it was the way he could gain power and money and influence. Yeah, it benefits and so, him. Yeah, so he rode to office on this, you know, this wave of just the worst people, uh, thanks to the internet and a lot of other things I don't want to go into because we don't have 10 hours. But right. <laughs> um, but it's the idea that, like, the, the end of this movie has him going literally in Max Lord being him going in front of the presidential seal on television, offering everybody like whatever they want, fantastic wishes, just so he could get as much as he could from them. What could be more capitalist? What could be more Trumpian than that image? Mm. The thing that doesn't make sense, the thing that like. He the only thing he doesn't show absolute contempt for only a little bit of contempt for is his son. And that's mm-hmm. the only real difference I see between Max Lord and Trump in this yeah. movie. That's a big up difference t- up until the end when it's like, no, wait, actually, my son is everything and <laughs> I will face no consequences for almost destroying the world in nuclear hellfire. As long as I get to go back and hug Baron, I mean, Alistair, you hear me? No, come up and... <laughs> By the yeah. way, that I think boy, the, the kid actor, that is one confused, uncomfortable kid oh, for every crap. scene yes. with one, Pedro Pascal. There's one moment in particular where uh, Pedro Pascal sat next to him on the sofa and he's he's like sque- squeezing him really tightly and you can see mm-hmm. the kid's face under his arm and he just looks so weirded out. Also, like this kid must be like, yeah. wow, you're dressed as the guy who wants me deported. Just... Like, I am so creeped out by this. Yeah, pretty much. I think it actually would have been really, and maybe this is just me having a completely dark sense of humor, but it actually would have been quite funny if they went, you know, just dug deep into Max Lord just having utter contempt for his son and just not giving a shit about him. Like, that would have been actually kind of funny to me. Well, in the end, with Diana being like, but what about your son? And he'd be like, eh. 
And then, and then yeah, Diana like, oh, oh, you need to die then. Cool. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. I, Does Maxwell oh. Lord need to be adored in the same way? Like, is it all about the attention for him? Because Trump's uh, Trump's lust for attention outstrips yes. his lust for power. Uh, yes, once, absolutely. Once because his the, primary thing that he says that he yeah. is is a, a TV personality. A personality. Mm. Yeah, exactly. He goes. He goes pretty. I mean, like, not deep into that because nothing is very deep in this movie. Sure. But yeah, he does make a point of saying, like, ah, I'm a TV personality. Like, he's almost weirdly proud of that. He is a failed businessman and TV personality who hmm. rides to power and money and fame on the back of the literal mechanisms that Reagan put into place. What could be more Trumpian? Hmm. You have, you are not wrong. At all. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I think I just, like, I didn't hate him. And uh, <laughs> I hated him the moment he came on. Oh, right. Well, okay. I, I think I just looked at Pedro Pascal and went, oh, this was your first big blockbuster. Can someone get Pedro Pascal a better blockbuster than this? Jesus Christ. I said to, I said to, to our daughter, do you recognize him? And she went, no. And I went, don't touch that. It's not a toy. And she went, oh, God, it's Mando. <laughs> yeah. I know. It's, it's very, Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to get past that. It's not um it's not a Chris Evans in Knives Out situation. Like they may have been trying to do something like that, but yeah. it doesn't work in yeah. this case. Well, there's a difference between those two films mm. and I, if they'd put Chris Evans in a Trump wig and a suit, I would have liked Knives Out a lot less. Yeah. <laughs> Instead they put him in that lovely cable knit. Yes, they do. Anyway. I know. <laughs> Hate him. Speaking <laughs> of him. speaking of extremely on the nose parallels, Oy. okay. Uh, now this actually is going to touch on something which has been said before, uh, but it is so dark and so kind of upsetting that we kind of didn't want to start the show with it. I was like sort of saving it for a bit, where it's like, yeah, they do this, and it's like at best ignorant as fuck and lazy. And at worst, I don't know, let's uh, let's just get into it. Um, there's all... Okay, for those who haven't seen the film and are so confused, yeah, we were too. There's a magic rock and this, guy, this businessman is really interested in getting other people to make wishes on the magic rock because, because he is the magic rock and has a magic... Like, they just touch him and they make their wish and then he gets a thing that they lose they never ever really talk about what you're losing and it almost seems like that was a part of the film that they put to one side they say like i think at one point someone says to diana you know what happened to you what have you lost with this we'll talk about the whole wishing side of things later they get in a jet at the Smithsonian, fully fueled up, chocks away, ready to go, uh, and fly off. And Diana goes, hold on, I'm just going to do this thing that people were going to talk about in the first movie, but then it never happened. And she just sort of like goes, like, widdly, widdly, whip, and then turns the jet into an invisible jet. And then they fly through some fireworks. And it's, it's a very pretty scene. And I was like, you know what? It's fine. This is bobbins, but it's fine. And then they're in Egypt. And I'm like, when did this happen? And then they're in a... A big truck chase, like in Indiana Jones, but with a lot more jumping and punching stuff. And then they're in someone else's back garden. Uh, no, they're in uh, like a, a guy who evaluates magic rocks, and Minerva's there for a re uh, like Barbara's there for for no reason. This is why I mean about the structure of this thing is all over the place. But one of the big things that happens while they're in Egypt, not the Middle East, folks, Egypt is a giant wall springs up 
because the local Ayatollah wishes that... What does he wish? It, it's it's an emir, which apparently is a title that's not used in Egypt, so yeah. that's wildly out of place. Okay. Um, but he, he wants his land to be separated from... The from foreigners. And oh, I can feel myself clenching up. It's, yeah. yeah. Uh, so this and wall, wall, wall flings up, and there's a the there's a symbolism in uh, walls and uh, them separating. But obviously, if you're making this now, you kind of got to you know be, be be careful about how you do it. There's other things that you've got to be doing if you're going to be effectively doing this in the Middle East slash Egypt. And there is a Slate article written by uh, Roxana Hadi. Hadadi uh, on antiquated Muslim and Middle Eastern stereotypes and she goes into a righteous fury about how pig fucking ignorant the depictions are here. Yeah. And there's also to ties article to... Because, yeah. yeah, this was a big thing for me. It was like, here we go again. Again. Thank you, Zack Snyder, for setting this up for us in all these DC movies. Here we go again with the weird Islamophobia. It is weird. There's a like Wonder Woman herself has to like jump out of the way of the uh, like, jump over the car, stop trying to get Maxwell Lords um, to to give up, and save some children, some um, Palestinian-looking children in Egypt, uh, whom she gets out of the way of the uh, cars. And it's it's good that she's saving them, and they're not just portraying everyone in a kind of Michael Bayish way, shall we say? Just yeah, it's 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 not like gut-churningly uncomfortable in that immediate regard. It, it's, a, it's a little more insidious insofar as what it's saying is based on things that didn't actually exist then in that way, and mis misinterpretation of various different cultures. And it feels like they said it in Egypt and then used a load of tropes that are associated with other more inflammatory countries so that no one could point at them and say, you're not allowed to say that about that country. And then they could say, well, it's okay, it's Egypt. And then they could say, but that's not what Egypt was like back then. And they could say, it's a fictional DC Egypt. Get off my back about that. It flat out does not work. At it the just very does, least. It does not work. For the, for the, and especially for the type of tone that they were kind of striking at the beginning of this movie, like this type of thing is totally out of place and it does not work for a film like this. Also, if you want to invoke a wall, it's the 1980s. The fucking Berlin, Berlin Wall, wall is right, right there, there, motherfuckers. Oh my god, of course. There's a room where the light won't find you. Holding hands while the walls come tumbling down. When they do, I'll be right behind you. So glad we've almost made it. So sad they had to made it. Everybody wants to But Alex, you say. Everybody Wants to Rule the World didn't come out till 1985, and the Berlin Wall didn't come down till 89. Anachronisms up the yazoo. To which I reply, I never said I wanted it set in 1984. Set it in 1989 and have Wonder Woman be something to do with the Berlin Wall actually coming down. To illustrate that walls coming down is a good thing. Excuse my, excuse all the obscenities. I can't hold it back for Go this movie. For um, but 
it's right there, and that is tied up with Russia and the Cold War and everything, like, you stupid assholes. Like, th this is so obvious. We need a wall from the 80s. Uh, we'll have to create one. I can't hmm. think of any. Let's see. Yeah, exactly. Who would have thought? Oh, wait. Who would ever imagine that there was actually one we could have invoked that had anything to do with the theme and the title of the goddamn movie that we have set up here? like uh, oh. the uh, r the writer of uh, Godzilla 2014 googled the wall and then they was about to write about the wall that exists in Pink Floyd and had to be told otherwise mm. yeah um I hate this movie you hate I it I hate this movie so much I hate it hate it hate <laughs> it <laughs> What happens is Maxwell Lord takes hold of the Star Wars program because he wants to touch everyone in the world and then he uses Chuck Denomalous tech from the end of Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey to put himself on the TVs of everyone and says, everyone make a wish and everyone watching the TV makes a wish. And some people wish for good things like, I wish I was famous or like vain things. And then like someone knocks on the window and goes, wow, that's the girl who puts the mints on the tables in this restaurant. And they're like bowled over by her. And... Because they don't want to say anything, the, this English couple, this British Isles couple, are in an argument, uh, apparently in, in Britain, where this woman goes, Do you know what? I just wish all you Irish would go back to where you came from. And it's like, yeah, well done for grabbing a, uh, a hatred of the Irish from the 19th century <laughs> because you didn't want to say anything else about go home to where you came from. And he goes, yeah, well, I, well, I wish you were dead. And then this old bitch dies. And hmm. Max, like, like, people are wishing for a cow. There's loads, loads of cows everywhere. People I are, wish I had a cow. I wish I had a cow. I wish I had a cow. <laughs> Just like all kinds of, but it's so all over the place. Like, they don't do that thing where it's like very direct and here's the knock-on effect of that. But he's contacted so many people. The amount of crazy people who'd be like, you know what? I wish China didn't exist. You know what? I wish men didn't exist. You know what? I wish women didn't exist. I wish gays didn't exist. I wish old people, children. The amount of fucking hate in the world. The whole world would explode a thousand times over. Before the nukes even got launched. Yeah. And this fucking ridiculous sequence. And I'm like, you know what? It's fine. It's a stupid thing for children. And there's like weird footage at some point of like, like news cam footage of someone being picked up and dragged around that looks like it's at the beginning of Zack Snyder's fucking hatred of the Islamic beginning of Dawn of the Dead that everyone keeps saying is really good but is actually a hunk of shit. But yeah, you expect that from a Zack Snyder movie. You do not expect this sudden really alarming footage to turn up in a Patty Jenkins movie yeah. about Wonder Woman that's been about kids in a mall. We definitely do not have time to go into why Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead remake is hateful Islamophobic shit, but it is. However, you can check out Curio's YouTube channel and find Zack Snyder, a world based on spite, which it is, and Maggie Mae Fish did her own series on Zack Snyder. This is why I keep saying his fingers seem to be all over this movie. And I understand that he is like an executive producer. He and his wife are executive producers on pretty much all of these DC properties. Mm. I get that. But 
Producers tend to have varying roles within these types of things. Like a lot of a good producer, I would argue a good producer does have a certain amount of creative input and they their job really is to maintain the creative integrity of the film or whatever project you're working on. Sometimes an executive producer is just there to to front the money is really just there as a financial backer. So I don't know the extent to which Snyder and his wife are really like creatively involved in these things. It could be that they're involved quite a bit, in which case it makes sense. But again, this is why this is another one of those reasons why I keep saying like it really does feel like it's not it this feels more like a Zack Snyder film than it does a Patty Jenkins film. It really does, which is strange considering that she both wrote and directed it, but it's got so many of his marks all over it. It doesn't have that darkness throughout. Like, his films are all, like, super self-serious. Even the fucking owl picture. Um, yeah, so, the, the grim, dark yeah. theme. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the it's whole, it's like, got that to it. And, and, and you're right, I don't think that this movie has as much of that, but still but the, it's there it does the turn up occasionally yeah. in ways that are really jarring the um when maxwell lord reflects on his life uh, you cut back to him as a boy watching through the doorway as his mother is slapped around by his father and i was like wow like domestic violence this is yeah. really unsettling in in this movie that you've just like seemed to be trying to evoke the Richard Donner Superman with. That whole last sequence as well is a so misjudged. A, a quick rattle off of, but this is why he's a terrible person because look at all the things that happened to him when he was a kid. That is no. lazy. If you're not going it, it to is. go into that in any kind of depth, that is lazy. I guarantee Donald yeah. Trump uh, was treated badly by his father. Fuck that guy. Yeah, he probably was. But he still turned out, yeah, it's like, okay, I get that that's the movie shorthand for this person had a terrible life and now you want us to have pity on them. You concede that earlier in the film if that's yes, the direction that you're absolutely, going. Absolutely. So it doesn't have to be just that shorthand movie thing that they do right at the end of the film, right before they're about to have their yeah. big redeeming moment. So I mean, that's like a bit from Sucker that, Punch, yeah, actually. It I may as well have been in slow scans. motion. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, one thing that... I did kind of want to mention just going back a little bit to your your British couple over there. Mm -hmm. Margaret Thatcher was in power at this point. In, in, yep. in yeah, yeah and she was already the prime minister at, mm -hmm. at this yep, point in history. Yeah, five um, years. You you possibly uh, yeah again going back into digging into maybe the politics of this if you want to turn this into something like Civil War or The Winter Soldier where you're going into kind of like a political thriller sort I of deal rather with would. this film. Have Ronald Reagan be the president of the United States yeah. mm -hmm. and maybe have Margaret Thatcher there too. Yeah. Get Meryl Streep back to play the Iron Lady. Yeah. I mean, you've got templates, you know, not just in the, the previous movies I mentioned, but you've got templates for doing this kind of thing with a superhero film. The original so, Dark Knight Returns had fucking Reagan in it as drawn by Frank yeah. Miller. Like, Reagan's totally there. He sends Superman out like his attack yeah. dog. The Look, actual use that. Ronald Reagan is in there, yes. I mean, and ultimately, the, he tries to, to corral Wonder Woman, and she's not fucking having it. That's a movie. Yeah. I, I just... It's just so many missed opportunities in this film. It's absolutely baffling. But have, you know... You've already invoked the 1984 thing. At least have the balls to have Reagan 
the actual Reagan, like cast somebody that looks like him, that sounds like him, that mm-hmm. has his mannerisms, cast somebody that actually is President Ronald Reagan in this movie, yeah. have Thatcher right there at the ready if you want to be able to draw those kind of parallels as Even well. Even the X-Men Bring movies in did this right. You got Kennedy yes. in First Class, you got Nixon in uh, Days of Future Past. Days like, of Future Past, yeah. Who the fuck are they? Like, why bother with your pretend yeah. president when this, this is supposed is this to be a no, period drama? Yeah. Who is this no-nothing, no-name Mr. President? Mm. Who the fuck is this guy? Could have gotten Martin Sheen back, but then it would have made us feel like, well, this is a good president. <laughs> He's got his hair. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, very yeah. true. But I mean, like, but yeah, it's dealing with things on far too high a level to to just make it about nothing and for it for for the the balance of power shifting in the eighties actually not in any way really weighing upon this. So everyone wishes this bullshit all at once. And Maxwell Lord is saying to everyone, keep wishing. And then I'm, I suppose he's getting all of their stuff and he's in the middle of the Skynet time machine. And Wonder Woman will come back to her fight with Cheetah in a bit. But she, like, they're playing at this point the Hunt Zimmer song, The Beautiful Lie, from the beginning of Batman versus Superman. I'm like... Oh, shit. Is are Bruce Wayne's parents are about to be murdered in an alley again? Because, <sighs> like, uh, they, they could have been going to a, several years later, re-showing of Excalibur, apparently, according to... Uh, um, but, but the point of that is, they keep going on about the truth in this movie and how important it is. But the very term, the beautiful lie, suggests that confronting the truth is hard because a lot of the time it's ugly. No one likes having the mirror turned up on themselves. And any movie with teeth would actually have done that. You just made me think of something because, like, Batman, or Bruce Wayne, was definitely, like, a child. And this would be post his parents' death Mm -hmm. in 1984, given the age that he is in Batman v Superman. Mm -hmm. So, like, we, we literally could have had a scene of Bruce wishing his parents back to life. Oh. Mm hmm. Yeah, Which, you're absolutely right. Like and so, uh, and young Clark wishing oh. he could save people, or that he could be like mm-hmm. everybody else. <gasps> yeah, like, you like did two and a half hours of not much at all, and those three you couldn't. Those yeah. two you couldn't this do. This was on the table, and apparently, little no Aquaman wishing it. he could meet his mom. Yeah, uh-huh. and and then the fact that at the end just. Everybody renounces. Yeah, everybody renounces their wishes, and it's just like you think that. Like, first off, we now know in reality that if you gave a large number of people this wishing stone, they absolutely would never renounce whatever their wish was. Mm. But, oh, no. Yeah, that's the, that's the thing I didn't explain. Uh, Wonder Woman says you must all renounce your wishes. Truth's way better than wishes. Even if your wish was like to not be dying of terminal yeah. cancer anymore. No, the truth is better. Or to not have like uh, you know, a degenerative disease anymore. Nope. Or to be able to escape from your abusive father, perhaps. Or an abusive relationship. Yeah, exactly. Like, 
So somebody must have, and I can't remember if it was We Hate Movies that mentioned this, but someone surely would have had to wish for world peace. Yeah. Surely someone had to make that wish. Yeah. Right? And, and like, she's not, no, the truth is better. But we've already said she hasn't lived among humans. She hasn't had relationships with humans. She doesn't even seem to have friendships with humans. So she's doling out fucking Themyscira philosophy from a bunch of immortal women who don't have to deal with any of this shit because they're living 3,000 years ago. Yeah, and they she, don't have the same consequences. They and there are no men the fucking it all up specifically. And Diana, at no point in this movie, lives up to those standards. Mm-hmm. Like, at no point. Because it, it's Steve who makes her, like, renounce her wish because he's like, are you, like, come on now. You have to do this. And even to the very end, she's resi- resistant to it. Mm. Like, at no point yeah. do I believe Diana believes the things she's saying. And I could I could believe no, that she could maybe, her. having learned that she has to let go with, with Steve, she could find a situation with one character for whom this is applicable and talk to them one-to-one, knowing what they've gone through. That yeah. I can understand, and that is unusual for a superhero to be able to do that. Mm. But to talk to... Billions of people get the fuck out of here. It's so, it's so patronizing. It's also worth noting that after all of this, and after this whole sequence, which achieves precisely nothing, the way that the world is saved is not by everybody renouncing their wishes. It is by Lord renouncing his wish because mm. his mm-hmm. wish was to be the wishing rock, which means that he undoes the whole thing, sticks all the fingers back on the monkey paw, and everything just disappears. They say monkey paw so, so appealing much. to everybody in the world was completely pointless because it was achieved You in should the just end have gotten to Max. just focusing on him. Like, basically, like, his wishing that like the whole world should have started shuddering and crumbling as it's like, no, this is undoing the fabric of reality and she should have gotten to him then but instead she fucking talks to the whole human race i was gonna say no one remembers of course no one remembers because it all went Deep back breath. the way it did no everybody what, remembers oh, everyone that's remembers? the thing okay yeah the only person who doesn't remember is the man who was steve trevor because he just came back into existence yeah, right because when everything his, was it, going to hell yeah because apparently his conscious his consciousness was stolen away from him when and then he woke up in the middle of a so riot. Of course, he doesn't have any memory of it. He didn't experience it. So that woman <laughs> comes round, and the Irish guy is like, "Oh, yeah, so, I'm so, so, sorry, sorry, I, I, I remember." Sorry, I wished you were dead. I'm sorry, I wished you were dead. And she's like, "I'm sorry, <laughs> I wish all you Irish would go." That's what I know she's it Irish. It makes like, even less wow. sense in a way because we have scenes of people being like, "The nukes are disappearing out of the sky. Everything is going back to to normal. We're all going to be okay." And and then we don't actually get a confirmation as to whether or not Lord's renunciation of his wish Mm. like reverses time, reverses people's memories. It's okay, folks. All of those missiles are safely back in their silos. Now still pointing at you. Don't worry at all. Wonder Woman's got you. (laughs) It's totally fine. I think it is set up that where I don't, I don't think everybody was, was uh, given that little amnesia pill, like, oh, everybody just fr- forgot about it. Like, mm. I don't think they set that up at all. Okay. I think everybody just carries on as if it happened, we experienced it, and now everybody's just kind of cool with that. But so who was this fucking voice of a goddess that everyone heard? And that means that you don't even have that post-event moment where everybody has to go... I wow, wish I need for to... something yeah. terrible. That changes the whole well, yeah, world so exactly. irretrievably. Like, 
holy crap, honey, I did not realize you had it out for Irish no. people that bad. Instead, it's holy like, shit. Marge, my dear, I haven't learned a thing. And then the world oh carries God. on into 1985. Well, so that ends up being my big question on this movie is, what in the world is this movie saying? Because it, it has that so much to do... the truth is more important. That's well, the big uh, question. But, like, so much of this movie, the language of this movie is about the gluttony and the overconsumption of the, that's like really prevalent in the 80s. That was like capitalism's heyday and all of that kind of lovely stuff. And then it shows you the ramifications of that, that it that it causes the downfall of all of these great societies, question mark, with the, the Dreamstone and that the dreams itself are kind of an extension of that. You know, you wish for whatever and people ultimately, for whatever reason, seem to wish for Porsches. But um, <laughs> the, so, so in, in the end, you have... A person who is a bad actor, like riding to power on everybody else's like wishes and dreams and all of that. And then in the end, faces no consequences, which is maybe mm-hmm. hits a little too close to home. Mm-hmm. But at the same yeah. time, what is the takeaway from this? Don't wish, don't want the world to be a better place, don't hope for things, yeah. just just be a cog in the machine, just just or keep going about it. We know, know what it is, the establishment accept, is right. Yeah, know your the, place and accept what the world chooses to yeah. dole out to you. You can't wish your health back. Yeah, the, the, only truth, the truth is the only thing that matters, so that's like the highest thing, even though the truth may be absolutely abhorrent. Yeah, the only person. Oh, and actually, it just occurred to me. Whenever uh, Lord goes back to his son, we actually do see that there is still devastation everywhere. So that's after mm-hmm. he renounced his wish. So it did definitely right. still happen. The only person who gets consequences in this film for their actions is Barbara. Barbara. She loses her friendship. She gets her butt kicked. She does. She's the only person who doesn't renounce her wish, mm. and she's alone. And it's like, she wanted to, like, yeah, she was envious, she wanted to be better, but does she deserve to be electrocuted by the one person who showed her warmth and then live by herself on an island? Yeah. That's the consequences? Yes, I agree with you. No, she did not deserve that. Um, It's also really weird being lectured on the truth by a film so poorly researched. If they don't care about the truth, why should we? Why should we? Yeah, exactly. But I think this kind of lends us very handily into that very final fight between Barbara and Diana and all of the what the actual fuck was going on there. Okay, Sharon, before we start this, could you just explain the golden armor and why it mattered before it turned up later? Because this bugged the shit out of you, and I want to give you because you haven't been able to talk that no, much. No, that's fine. I've been yammering. That's no, so. that's absolutely fine. the The reason that the whole setup with the golden armor made me swear. Oh, you shouted! I was very cross. Um, okay, so it's Diana tells a story to Steve early in the film, or rather, Diana's lariat tells a story because apparently it can now do that. She's, I, th- I think she says at one point, it doesn't just find the truth, it tells the truth. But it basically just means that she doesn't have to just do this story verbally. She can show him it with visuals and everything. So there is a, a warrior of the Amazonians called... Atista, Arista, Bettina, uh, uh, Alana... Stop it, Avana. stop it, I'll never remember if you do that. I want to say Artemisia, <laughs> but it's not Artemisia. Um, and now there is the youngest in our musical hang debut. Hang on. Yep, no. Artemisia? It's, I, I don't think Araminta. It's... Shh. 
Oh my uh, god. Uh, Astara? Astara. Astara, thank yeah. you. Okay. Thank you, yeah. Victoria. Okay. But one of the so, only neat bits in the film, by the way. Well, yes. Yeah, and it's the at the end where it doesn't matter. Yeah. So yeah. The mid-credit uh, scene was the best part. Indeed. Mm. So, uh, Astara. Astara, Astara, is, Astara is a warrior of the Amazonians who, when Themyscira was being hidden from the world of men, had... All of the uh, all of the Amazonians donated their armor so that they could make her a suit of go- of golden or, or whatever it's made of uh, armor that is completely body covering and has these huge angel like wings that you can wrap around to create. Effectively, it's like the Roman shield thing where they all stand and put their their shields up so they look like a turtle. Turtle? No. Not turtle. No. She sacrificed herself so that the other uh, Themyscirans could get away. And there's a wonderful scene, well, I say wonderful, it, it is pretty wonderful if you take it completely out of context. There's a scene where she's wrapped in this armor and she has the wings wrapped around herself and she's got this flood of men looking very Greek stroke Roman, kind of piling in on her and, and she's holding them off with these wings. She's like just got these wings around her and uh, it's going in slow motion while these guys are all crowding and going, Aah! and it's, 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 like, it's like she's holding up the wings and it's like, Aah! and I'm like, she's defending the Amazons from 300. Yes. These fucking, like just like everything that, it, it's almost like Zack was trying to push all this stuff into the original Wonder Woman film and Artemisia went, no! And then just like in slow motion, Astoria. And and basically that's her no man's land section. That's her. (laughs) That's the best shot, the best moment in the whole film. Along with Barbara's getting her powers and kicking that guy's ass. So having set up the story of this Oh, interesting that those two have rather a thematic resonance to them. Well, indeed. That also could be a none too subtle metaphor for Patty Jenkins keeping Snyder at bay during the original Wonder Woman. So having set up the story of this armor, while the whole everybody's making terrible wishes and the world is falling apart thing is going on and Washington DC is effectively falling to crowds and riots and chaos. Diana having renounced her wish and and allowed Steve to go back into uh, infinity, goes off and fetches the armor. So I'm thinking there's going to be this wonderful scene where she shows up over DC with the armor and does the same thing that Astaria did and basically protects the people who just want to get away from the riots and defends them so that they can separate themselves from all of this chaos and mess that's going on around her, around all of them. Protecting people rather than talking down to them. Yes. However, what she uses it to do is go and kick Barbara's ass in a completely separate, nothing to do with the chaos that's going on downtown. And I'm just like... She needed a power-up. What was the point of that? She never uses the wings, apart from a thing to fly, and then when she lands, she throws them off. She ruined an antique for seemingly no reason, seemingly by the way. Seemingly no reason, yes. And the, and the whole thing where when it gets to the end of that fight, and I'm, I'm going to open the floor for anybody to talk about what actually goes on in the fight, but the bit that really made me go, that's not how that works, was when she pulls her down under the water and grabs the cable 
and electrocutes her in the water. Is Diana like resistant to electricity no. now? She can yeah. get Is shot with bullets, to... but she's impervious to electricity. to electricity. Because here's the thing: if you're in water and you're with somebody else also in water, and you put an electric cable in, and that person gets electrocuted, guess what guess happens what? to you? <laughs> <sighs> yeah, uh, it turns out water is an excellent conductor for electricity. Mm, isn't it just? Yeah, and, she... and actually so are other people. So, mm. you know. I don't know how to even explain what happens in this fight because it is such absolute nonsense from top to bottom. Because, I mean, Victoria, I think I should actually hand this over to you and the, uh, the fursuit comparison you were making before. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I the the a lot of people have commented on how the CGI is really bad, and I have literally seen like real life fursuits that are more realistic than <laughs> what this looks like. And so, you know, Barbara shows up from you know Anthrocon having been canceled that year, and wanted to show off her her cat suit, uh, or maybe maybe she came from a showing of cats. Who knows? Yeah. And um, possibly. I mean. She looks like Jenny like, Any Dots. Jesus Christ! Does it look better than the than the movie Cats? I don't know. Honestly, like um, there are some cats in Cats who are a little bit adorable. Jason Derulo's cuddly. Yeah. I'd like this thing. Remember, I said I loved that first teaser trailer. The second trailer that came out, it was totally incoherent. That's the one where people talk, and that's the one where they set out the story. And I, was, I got to the end, I was like, I don't know what's going on in this thing. I hope that's not representative of the full film. And when I saw the cat makeup, I was like, why is no one talking about how shit this looks? What, the way trailers work, you're supposed to put your best CG in for those few clips, and then like leave the other shots that don't quite work as well on the cutting room floor. You don't put the worst shot in there that definitely says this is going to look like absolute ass. I saw way more shots of Barbara that actually looked a little bit better than the bit they used. Yeah. It's insane. And the whole fight, it's just like CGI superhero punching. But like, so Barbara's a, like a cat person for shrug reasons and diana she shows up to be an apex predator at one point i think that's where uh, they get she, that from she says sort of. that line and then max lord is like i'm gonna give yeah. you some of this some of this wish and juice so you uh -huh. can yeah, i'm gonna whatever. give you a second yeah. wish again breaking the rules that they've already established and also a throwaway line that happens in two seconds that could have been completely missed if you just like look down at your phone for two seconds it's even stranger than that because he says i give and you i will. give her your power i give her your 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 ferocity and i'm like are are tigers making wishes are cheetahs making wishes do they have are, do i they wish have for these, really like, tasty are zebra. they sentient beings now they have tvs in the zoo like it's just very strange to me but so so she's a cat now for reasons diana shows up in a suit of armor that is looks like a bird so the cat beats up the bird but then but then diana shows the cat the its secret weakness water and then the <laughs> fight is over and i'm just like what the fuck why is this here i know it's it's so strange and like we're not and there's just so much nonsense going on there's this armor that we've already been shown to to be able to hold off like the 300 guys that you were mentioning before shield bashing sword bashing but a very large cat is able to just tear it completely apart with just her claws and that's it.
So, uh, I think the thing I'm going to end on is a serious promotion for a film nobody saw called uh, Professor Marston and the Wonder Women, which is about, it's a biopic about the creators of the original comic, William Moulton Marston and his wife Elizabeth, and a woman named Olive. And the three of them become romantically entangled and actually make a go of it in a deeply intolerant 1930s and 40s society. Uh, making it one of the only movies about polyamory, like they just, they don't exist. I any movie about people trying to make a go of it when there's more than one person ends in fucking tragedy and misery. And this one is actually kind of uplifting and it's fascinating to watch. It's got wonderful drama behind it. It's actually really well acted, even by Luke Evans, who I don't normally like in particular. Rebecca Hall is amazing in it. So yeah, um, like I said, it came out around about the same time as Wonder Woman. It is not official or licensed or authorized in that regard. It deals with like trying to push through elements of the Wonder Woman comic and, and a lot of people got the time going, what are they, this bondage and all of this. These folks were very ahead of their time and if you read my books, their connection was very inspirational. So, yeah, that is Professor Marston and the Wonder Women. You can probably find it streaming. You can probably rent it someplace. Make sure it's in HD, because there's some really lovely moments with, like, golden light in a beautifully photographed. It's got, you know, it's, it's a lot of period costumes going on there. And it's also sexy as hell. So, and it's also coherent. So it's kind of the opposite of all of this. And speaking of which... My tenth book, Stone Spring Maidens, is finally available in paperback form worldwide via Amazon.com. It is 327 pages of LGBTQ interracial romance with mech suits. Set in a beautiful, richly detailed, fading amber world where women run the show. And to write it, I pretty much had to invent the sci-fi subgenre of crystal punk. Here's a little taste of the upcoming audio drama. A long time ago, in a lost kingdom, where in the shadows men lived as beasts, there dwelled a young woman who dreamed of cogs and springs, of gears and levers. The white knight had cut off her legs in the ferocity of his wrath. Nonetheless, the young woman survived. She returned home, uncertain of what remained in her life. The world was darker more frightening. Sadness and anger threatened to overcome her each time she thought of this monstrous armoured demon. But in her mind, she dreamed of ways she could become free once more. And she would have her revenge. The New Century Multiverse, Stone Spring Maidens, is on Amazon right now. And if you're supporting us on Patreon at the $10 level or higher, make sure you go download your ebook version. That is part of your bonus content. Speaking of which... School of Movies is funded by Patreon. Our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you too. 
Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Outridge, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Evan Jankowski, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Gasiga, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joseph Gluck, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Mark Luksh, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Scott Jacob, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. Before we go, where can people find your best stuff online? And we will start with Victoria. My best stuff online, of course, as I always say, is in this very feed. Uh, okay, so I mean, favorite episodes that you're like, oh, you got to check this out. I think since we're talking Snyder, I mean, oh, I sucker yeah. punch. I still like. Oh the sucker. yeah, I, baby. I, I I believe my feelings on Sucker Punch are even more evolved and complicated than they were when we made that oh, wow. episode. Are we going to have to do a Sucker um, Punch revisited? We haven't even gone back you, to Lord of the Rings yet. Could you even imagine? Um, <laughs> I would I would love to hear a revisit of Sucker Punch with Victoria. I think that would be rad as hell. <laughs> Maybe a Sucker just, Punch Mentary. Uh, like oh, the, yeah, we hate oh, movies will not be, corner the market yeah, on that Punch would be we could do we could do a whole like menagerie of Snyder stuff because I got a lot to say about Watchmen still too. But um, yeah, I, I'm still a big fan of our uh, series on Guillermo del Toro. And oh, but yeah. uh, you know, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Vixenwitch, where the W is two V's, and uh, that's basically it. If you want to come around the clinic, I'm try to sneak you a COVID vaccine, but I'd oh, get in super goodness. amounts can of trouble. Can we get to America? <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on this time. Thanks for inviting me. You're very welcome. And Maya, uh, what are you up to at the moment? And again, point people in the direction of the stuff you're most proud of. Oh boy. Okay, so you can find me as always on Twitter at Maya Santandrea. I'm on Instagram at the Stunt Lady, which is a lot easier to find. And I, you can hear me in various outlets of Alex's work via the uh, by either. Uh, Uncivil Outlaw or any of the New Century Multiverse, which is on your podcast streaming devices. Previous episodes, I'm a big fan of the, as I mentioned, the the Canon Ninja trilogy that we recently did. That was a a lot of fun. And I was very happy with how they came out. Um, I was on the Labyrinth episode. Uh, I'll be in an upcoming commission show that I commissioned and was also on, so be on the lookout for that. Oh yeah, I'm sure people already know what it is, but yeah, be on the lookout for that show in the near future. And I would also like to just parrot some. And I didn't want to. I, I didn't want to parrot too much of of what you know. Obviously, what other people had said about this film because so much you know obviously has been said already. It's been out for a little bit now. But I watched the uh, Red Letter Media review of this film on YouTube, and they had a lot of. You know, again, not surprisingly, they had a lot of very similar problems with this film. But one thing that made me so incredibly happy was the fact that at the very end of their review, Mike Staklasa, bless him, recommended instead of watching Wonder Woman 1984, instead of that, 
check out Doom Patrol, which you can also find on HBO Max and which I was heavily involved with both season one and two. I'm really proud of the work that I did on that show and I absolutely agree with him. If you're looking for a good DC property to check out that you maybe haven't taken a look at for, definitely check out the season one and season two of Doom Patrol. You're not going to get into trouble for bad-mouthing this film, are you? Absolutely not. They don't give a shit. Look, okay. (laughs) So when it comes to that kind of stuff, I feel like Marvel is really the only one that comes down on, like, the social media stuff. WB Mm. doesn't really give a shit, especially because their streaming stuff... Well, that much is obvious. (laughs) Yeah. Their streaming stuff is so completely... Uh, almost like it almost has nothing to do with their theatrical releases like their episodic stuff is completely different like you're never gonna see any crossover of the cyborg from justice league showing up in the doom patrol show well apparently you're never gonna see cyborg period now they're like oh you complained about a poor work environment well fuck off yeah pretty much but yeah that's kind of like I don't think they really even give a shit about that because it's like as long it's it's out there. So you know, as long as it's not as long as you're not talking about something that is coming up down the pipe for them that hasn't been released yet, they don't give a fuck. Right. So no no talking yeah. about say the Suicide Squad. If not we, were, we any... were to talk about the Suicide yeah, Squad, we must. Not not in any. Although I gotta say, I had a very good experience on the Suicide Squad, so okay. I'm really looking forward to that. I hope that it's good. But yeah, as far as any details about what I did or anything, that's gonna have to wait until after its release. Understood completely. Yeah. Okay. Right. Uh, and that is it for Wonder Woman 1984. We hope that is not it for Wonder Woman because we, <laughs> as we said. We want her to be great, not just good. We want her to be great. She's really important, and she should be really important to many, many people. So how she's represented on screen matters. And uh, like we take no pleasure whatsoever in kicking the shit out of this one. It's uh, They did Diana dirty, basically. But we will be back next week, remaining in the totally tubular, awesomely outrageous 80s with Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And we're going to be doing the whole trilogy. And it starts off like, oh, hadn't thought about it like that. And then Bogus Journey, like, whoa, actually, that's... You guys think about this too much. And then when you hit Face the Music, it's quite profound. But then the film itself is genuinely profound. And we definitely, thanks to our future selves, recommend... Bill and Ted face the music, folks. Go check it out. Till then, I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And School's Out. Wonder Woman! Wonder Woman! All the world is waiting for you And the power you possess In your satin tights Fighting for your rights Hawking dove, stop a war with love, take a lion.